The reading this morning will be from Luke 9, 28 to 33a. About eight days, <clears throat> sorry guys, <laughs> about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with them. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at the time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsion, so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon there threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks. I can. Thanks. Good morning, Vineyard. Good morning, sons and daughters of the Most High, beloved children of God, heirs to the riches of the kingdom, because that's who you are. I hope you are not as asleep as Peter was, and I hope that you will be fully awake to see God's glory uh, today. Uh, my name is Matthijs ten Dekker, and today I will uh, talk to you about the Exodus, about Moses, about Jesus, what it means to us. And it's part of our ongoing series on the true story um, about the big story of God through the ages, his story of restoration and redemption, of healing um, through the people of Israel, through Jesus, 
uh, up until our time. And it's a big story and it's a true story and it's, the, uh, it's, it's the, a bigger picture than just the idea that Jesus died for our sin and rose and we go to heaven. And that's the purpose of this um, uh, message series to give you this simple framework. Uh, maybe you can back, go back to the picture. Um, to, to grasp this message, this, this, this gospel message in, in, in one scheme, to, to fit it in one visual. Um, and then we have a very long series to flesh it out and fill it in with all different kinds of um, hopefully practical ways that helps you to connect to this big story and connect your own life and your own story to this big story so you can share it with other people. Um, a few weeks ago, we spoke about creation designed for good. That's the state the world was in before anything evil happened and the state that the world was meant to be. Then we talked about the fall, damaged by evil. This world is damaged by evil. And then we get to the third quadrant, restored for better. God's plan through the ages that culminated in Jesus on the cross, his ministry, his life, his death and his resurrection, restored the world to be a better place. And of course, it's not a better place yet in many requests. Because as his people, we are sent together to heal and work in God's plan. So this message is the first in a series of three. And we're sort of in the, the top right, uh, the bottom right quadrant about Jesus and his role and what he does and did. His ministry, his life and his death and resurrection. And we're going to look at it through the lens of Jesus being the anointed one. And uh, people who were anointed in the Old Testament were prophets, kings, and priests. And of course, Jesus is all three. He's a prophet, he's our king, and he's a priest. Um, so we're going to tie these this three things of Jesus being anointed. Uh, Christ, Christos, means anointed one. Messiah means anointed one. Uh, and tie it to the idea of prophet and king and priest and uh, some specific stories from the Old Testament to connect the Old Testament with Jesus and with our lives today. Um, so today we're going to talk about the Exodus, about prophet, because um, when you look at uh, the life of Jesus, the ways he presented in the Gospels, um, there are actually a lot of links between Jesus and Moses. Moses being the central figure of the Exodus, the one who leads the people out of slavery into Egypt. Well, God does it, but uh, Moses is his, is his tool. And for us, it's maybe a bit strange to think of Moses as a prophet, because we usually see him as sort of the, a leader or a lawgiver or um, whatever. But um, he is actually a prophet. A prophet is someone who speaks God's words into our current situation to confront or to encourage or to build up. And that is what Moses does. He is drawn by God back into Egypt to stand before Pharaoh and confront the systems of Pharaoh and say, this is not right. God says, I want my people to be free out in the desert. And that's why uh, Moses is recognized as a prophet. Also in the New Testament, very often find First, uh, Paul, for example, talking about Moses and the prophets. This message has two parts. The first part is about Moses, Exodus, Jesus and us, which is a pity that Moses is with the E and not with the U, otherwise it would have fit better. Um, 
The second part is, um, I will try to be more practical, and we're going to talk about discipleship, what it means, and I hope to give you some tools to help you grow in discipleship. And of course, we will explain what discipleship has to mean, has to connect with, how it connects to this. But first, part one, sort of the um, theoretical part, like with your research, you have a theoretical framework, and then you go into the practicalities. And there are three things surrounding the Exodus and Moses that I want to discuss today. First of all, slavery. Second of all, redemption. And thirdly, covenant. Now, you should know, when I prepare for a sermon, um, there's usually all kinds of ideas floating around, and Bible texts, and, oh, this would be cool, and this would be nice, and I can see the forest from the trees, and I'm wondering, like, how will this ever get together in one message? And then usually, um, over time, I think about it, and I pray, and things start to come together, and coalesce, and, and, and a structure evolves, and a structure forms. And that's when I get really happy, because I like structure. Um, and it's also the time when I get really energetic, or restless, and just all these things are working in my mind, and the structure is coming, and I'm pacing back and forth in the living room, and if I'm really energetic, I start bouncing around um, when I'm alone, or, or step on the furniture, um, which my kids can do, but I can. Um, so when, when this, this, this uh, structure of slavery and redemption and covenant came up, I was just walking around in the, the, the living room trying to um, get it all together, and then a little dance appeared. Um, and I'm going to share with you. And it really came spontaneously. And it was like, slavery, redemption, covenant. And you can imagine, if you want to, the jazz hands. <laughs> you know, slavery, redemption, covenant. Yeah? Now, why am I telling you this? <laughs> um, not just so you know how my servant preparation goes, and also not just to make a fool of myself, which I'm definitely doing, um, and also not just so you'll remember this better, and, but also because it's sort of a, uh, I, I, I realize it's sort of a visual representation of my sermon, talking about slavery, you're down in the dumps, you're stuck, and then God lifts you up redeems you, rescues you, saves you. But it's only the beginning of a plan because he sends you out into the world, into his covenant to be a good news for this world. So this silly dance, slavery, redemption, covenant, it's a visual summary of my sermon which you will not forget from now on. Um, so that's what I'm going to talk about. And the core is that you will find freedom by binding yourself to Jesus as your deliverer, which is the great paradox of faith. You will find freedom by binding yourself to your Savior. Oof, I'm out of breath. I shouldn't dance, or dance more. Uh, slavery. The people in Is of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They were part of the system of Pharaoh, a system that was based on oppression, anxiety, greed, dehumanization, for this pharaoh to get what he want. He was on top 
on top of the food chain. Everyone was serving him. He was a god. And he was the big leader. And everything in the country was there to serve him. And this system oppresses the Israelites. And they were stuck. They were forced to do labor. And when Moses came to confront Pharaoh, he said, well, you have time to argue. You need to work harder. You need to produce more. Do more. You are lazy. Work more. When we draw a line to today, you can look around in society and see what systems are present in society that oppress, that dehumanize, that give you anxiety or stress. And in a sermon a year ago, when we were talking about Sabbath, uh, I gave a bit more words to that. Uh, systems of Egypt and the system of the world today and God's system. Today I want to focus on the idea of slavery. The systems of these worlds are damaged by evil and need to be restored. And that's a bigger picture. Then Paul gives a very personal picture. Because in Romans he says, we are slaves to sin. I like to talk about big systems. I don't like to talk too much about personal sin. But this is what Paul says. He says, we are slaves to sin. And by sin, he doesn't mean that you are addicted to committing heinous acts all day long. It's not about, only about the things you do, like you're some serial killer or pathological liar. It's all about um, your mindset, the frame of mind. Ever since the fall, people rebel against God. And the one who should be on the throne of your life, God, is replaced by ourselves. And we want to be on the throne of our life. And we want to be the ones who decide. And we want to be the ones um, to find out what is good for us. So sin is a personal state of being um, that gets you stuck into putting yourself atop of the food chain and serving yourself. And putting yourself in the place where God needs to be. I struggle with um, uh, lots of things. Um, I tend to be proud, tend to be envious or jealous. And recently I just, I, I asked God, like, can you tell me what is in my heart? And the first thing that came to mind was scarcity. You have a mindset of scarcity. Um, that's very practical when I'm in the line for potluck. I scan how many people are in front of me, how many food is there, is there going to be enough, is there any way, my, are my kids in the front so I can move over there, or um, there are 10 people, eight pieces of pizza, what do I, will it work out? Um, and that's a practical thing, but also there's a, 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 uh, a spiritual thing. When people get praise, I get envious because I feel like, is there not enough praise for me? Why do I get praise? If people... Uh, tell them they're feeling loved. I'm like, okay, will there be enough love for me? Why don't I feel loved enough? Do I need more love? And is it going to work out? And it's a mindset of scarcity that traps me. And it produces all kinds of uh, not very fun fruit. Just as a, 
um, uh, illustration of what being a slave to sin means. It means putting myself on the throne, making sure that I have enough because I need to have, I, I need to have enough because everything is scarce and if there's praise or love for someone else, there's not enough for me. But God needs to be there. He is the one who says, you have abundant life. I have all the riches of the kingdom stored for you. I'm the one who's there for you. So even this, this sense of scarcity is me putting myself on the throne of my life instead of someone else. Fortunately, slavery is only the first thing because then there is redemption. Moses came to Pharaoh very reluctantly when God was, met him at the burning booth. He said, no, it's not for me. I can't speak well, and God was taking away all his excuses one by one, and he said, I just don't want to go, send someone else. He was a very reluctant leader, but he went, and he stood before Pharaoh in a big showdown. Let my people go, you know, from the movies. And it was like miracles and, and plagues, and then finally the people walked away in freedom. They were freed from the land, freed from the slavery and the systems of Egypt. And it all starts in Exodus 3 with Moses, uh, with God telling Moses, I have seen the misery of my people. And the Exodus is sort of a model for God's redemption because when they walked out of the country, they were free in a lot of aspects, not just physically. They were also walking away from a political system that oppressed them for, for economical slavery. There were social and spiritual aspects of, 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 of the life they were living that they would need to be freed from. It's a very big picture. It's not just one thing. We're not just saved from our sin. There's a lot of um, big picture of God's redemption and healing and restoration in play when we talk about redemption. Now, when we look to our passage, we find Jesus on the mount, and he's there, and he gets to talk with Elijah and Moses. It's like a big thing happening. And Luke tells us what they're talking about. He says, um, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Now, the Greek word for departure here is exodus. They were talking about his exodus that he would bring to fulfillment. And I think that's a very double meaning that Jesus is talking to Moses about fulfilling the exodus. Because God's plan of redemption, which was very physically present in the people of Israel, is a spiritual and an uh, actual um, reality in what Jesus was fulfilling at the cross. Setting people free from slavery. Colossians 1, verse 12 and 13 is sort of the most... Um, obvious thing, obvious verse that, that speaks about this, where it says, you, were, you are children of the light, and you have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness by Jesus into his kingdom. Now, the interesting thing is, when I, I thought about this verse, I thought it was actually saying, you were taken out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And I'm not sure if just my translation, but it's a, it's a different verse. It says, you are taken out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son, of Jesus. 
He is the king. And this is what we're celebrating today with communion. God's redemption, God's freedom from slavery, from sin, from anxiety, from dehumanization, from fear, from shame, from pressure. Pressure to perform, pressure to conform, pressure to publish, pressure to make things work, pressure to help out, pressure to be the good kid. And I'm here today to tell you that you are free. You are free. God broke the chains of slavery, of sin, of brokenness to restore you for better. Slavery, redemption, covenant. When Israel was traveling out of Egypt, they didn't cross the border right into the Holy Land. There was a big period of uh, desert in between. They needed to... Um, find ways to get there. It was a process of getting into the Holy Land, into the Promised Land. And it was a great process because they were, they were complaining. They were saying like, oh, there's not enough food. Let's go back to, to Egypt, to slavery. At least we had, to, we had food there. There was still in their minds, there's still a mindset of slavery. And some people, some, some commentators say this whole journey was meant for them not to take the people out of slavery, but to take the slavery out of the people. And God is sending them out, uh, is taking them out and moving them into a new covenant. He's not saying like, okay, I set you free, now go wander on your own, it's fine. And he says, I have set you free because you are my people and I want to renew my covenant with you. Are you with me? And then on Mount Sinai, he gave the law. Like we have all these books, Exodus, Numeri, Leviticus, all with the laws of Jesus, of, of God, for his people. And why are these laws in place? Because Israel needed to be a different people. They needed to live a different life. God said, you came out of the system of slavery, of, of, of doggy, dog, care for yourself, greed uh, kind of system. But I want you to take care of your widow and your orphans. I want you, I command you to take a day rest. Imagine telling that to someone who's a slave. I command you to celebrate holidays. To party. I command you to take a year of jubilee. And every time in, in, in those books you find that refrain, because I, the Lord God, let you out of slavery, let you out of Egypt. They were sent into the world to be a different people, to show and live a different life and show them that God's covenant means living a different life and working and living from a new and different system. In our passage, um, it's Peter, of course, Peter, who comes up and says, oh, wow, this is great. When he finally wakes up, he says, oh, wow, this is great. Uh, let's, let's stay here, let's keep this. I want to I grasp this and, and make sure this, this will stay forever. But if he can't. And then God comes as a cloud 
And there's this voice saying, this is my son, uh, my beloved, the son whom I have chosen. It's a confirmation for Jesus and for his people. Like, this is my son, this is whom I have chosen. And then God gives a command, listen to him. The new exodus, the redemption of Jesus, is not just so you can live your life for yourself and are free from some burdens that you might have had. It is so you can listen to Jesus. You are sent out into the world to be an ambassador, to live a different life following Jesus, to be someone who is healed and helps heal others. You are liberated to set people free. You are redeemed to help people find redemption. And it's a process. I am free, but I struggle every day. And I wanted to read the, the passage that came after this because they had to go down from the mountain and we all have to go down from the mountain into normal life. And there's this kid and they couldn't heal him. You have like the big Moses, Elijah thing. You, th you thought, okay, let's stay here. Let's grasp this. God says, no. You go down, and they couldn't heal this guy, this, this boy. But it was the start of their process of growing into authority and in power, and Jesus giving them his authority and his power. But they weren't there right away. And it seems like even Jesus gets annoyed and says, well, what's happening? That's the connection I wanted to make with discipleship. Discipleship is following Jesus, listening to Jesus, obeying Jesus with the purpose of becoming more and more free. And with the purpose of being part of his force of people that bring change and healing and restoration and redemption to the world. Discipleship is not some option for super-Christians. It's not a way for you to, to grow into a better self. Not, not just, it is, but... Discipleship is a way for you to grow in freedom every day. And a way for you to help other people grow in freedom as well and be freed from slavery. I used to spend a lot of my time as a teenager asking God what his plan for my life would be. And I have a thought that he would have this big special plan thought out for me and I just needed to find it and then whew, everything was great. I don't think our purpose is to find God's special plan for us. But I think our purpose is to find what our life is in God's special plan. God has a plan, a true story, working through the ages of redemption and healing and restoration. And we need to find out how our life is going to be part of that. That was part one. I'd like to get into some practicalities of discipleship. Um, but I need a sip of water and maybe you need some time for reflection. So I'll just pause for a few minutes, give you some time to think about what you just heard and I'll be back. Okay. 
Discipleship means following lead Jesus and listening to him. And I think um, some of the things that help me are very practical ways of finding ways to follow Jesus. So I just wanted to share a few practical tools or visuals with you. I work with navigators, and navigators has a sort of uh, visual representation of discipleship that they call the wheel. It's been around for 80 years, and it's like the core of navigators. So I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, this, is a, this is what discipleship means. And of course, it's a, it's, it's a schematic. It's not everything. Um, but in the life of a disciple, Jesus is at the center. He is the axis around everything in your life revolves around. The wheel turns around the axis. Jesus and his kingdom are always at the core, always at the center. And then as you live your life as a disciple, there are things that hold up the wheel, that give it stability. There is prayer, reading the word. It's a vertical connection with God. You need to pray and you need to read the word to know what God is saying to you, what he asks of you. And then there's the horizontal line of fellowship and witnessing. Fellowship, talking to people, with people you are, who already know Jesus, encourage each other, learn from one another. And then there's witness, talking to people who don't know Jesus yet, uh, sharing your story, talking about your struggle or your victory. And these aspects um, form the life and the, 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 are the things that, that, that bring the power from the center, uh, the, the movement of the center into the wheel. Uh, it's kind of a bit technical now, but those are the things that, 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 that put your, your faith and your work and your life in action. And that's why in the rim, uh, which is where uh, the rubber hits the road and what, what makes that the wheels touch the ground and they, and, and they start moving, those are the things that put you into action. As a Christian, uh, when you listen to God, when you pray, when you read his word, when you speak to other people and you confess and you witness about your faith in any way you can, you will be in action and you will be moving and you will be a force for Jesus or a tool for Jesus to help build his kingdom. And then there's one word in that rim that bugged me. When I first read it, when I first heard this, 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 this visual, saw this visual, and that's obedient. We don't like obedient. Ugh. We want to find our own way. We want to find out. We want to do things. We want to be uh, motivated by ourselves to do things. But being obedient, uh, I try to find ways to replace it with someone else, but I couldn't. Because this is exactly the thing that touches on God being the center of your, of the, God being on the throne of your life instead of yourself. Reading the word, praying, listening to what God has to say and be obedient to the one who is on the throne of your life. And that's discipleship. And that's a very easy representation of what discipleship means in your life. And it's not uh, the one and all out or the, the, everything there is to say, but it helps for you to see like, okay, is Christ still the center of my life? 
Am I reading my Bible? Am I praying? Am I talking to other people about my faith? As a new uh, Christian, it helps you to find areas where you can grow in. And as an experienced Christian, it helps you to find areas that you can grow in. So I want to give you this um, to think about and to talk about in your home group, maybe. And I want to get even more practical uh, about Bible reading. Everything we know from Jesus is from the Bible. Everything we know from God's plan is from the Bible. The way that God's Spirit works in this world is through the Bible. So that's why the Bible is the Bible reading is the core and one of the important things in the life of a disciple, of finding out what Christ wants and being uh, his disciple. So this is a simple way of reading your Bible. Find a passage and ask these four questions. What does this passage tell me about God? What does it tell me about people? And then you pray and then you ask God, what can I do with this today? Is there anything I can put into practice so my wheel gets into motion and I get to into action? And is there anyone I can share this with? Maybe a fellow believer to encourage community? Or maybe someone who doesn't know Christ yet and then you're a witness? So these four things help you to, to have all those aspects of a disciple when you read the Bible. It's a... Four simple questions to ask, to remember, uh, to share with other people if you tell them about reading the Bible. Pass it on as I'm passing it on to you now from the people that I've learned this from. And then finally, I want to get even more practical because I'm challenging you to read your Bibles this week. I um, have put up a WhatsApp group and it's called the One Week Vineyard Groningen Bible Reading Challenge. So what I'm going to do is that I'm going to post in this WhatsApp group, starting from tonight, a passage to read for the next day. And then if you partake in this challenge, you can read the passage, uh, think about this according to the four uh, questions, and then we can use the WhatsApp tool group as a tool for accountability and um, uh, seeing like how are we doing and, and what is going on. So this is a one-week challenge for you to read your Bible every day. Um, you can scan the QR code and be part of it if you want to. It will start tonight. I will get, there's a lot more explanation if you join in. Um, but this is just a fun and simple way for you to get involved into reading your Bible, at least daily for this week. And hopefully you will continue after, after you uh, have gone through it for this week. Um, I encourage you to read a physical Bible because it helps you to retain what you've, what you've read. Um, the passages are going to be from Mark. So if you don't have a physical Bible, uh, I have some Gospels of Mark with me. So there's really no excuse to not participate. If you need a Gospel of Mark uh, to go with the Bible reading challenge, please come to me after the service. I have several of them. Um, yeah. I thought, uh, let's get practical. And this is what I came up with. Um, I just want to thank you for listening. Um, and I would like to pray.
Lord, we want to thank you and we want to praise you for what you've been doing through history and what you've been doing through our lives. We thank you that you redeem us from slavery into a life of a covenant with you. And we realize that we are as damaged as the world around us. That we need your healing and your redemption and your forgiveness. And that you send us out to be a force of healing to this world. Help us to listen to you as your disciple. Help us to find freedom by binding ourselves to you, Jesus, as our deliverer. And we want to invite you to um, yeah, work in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives to bring about what you want to bring about. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your spirit. And we just want to worship you and celebrate communion as a way to honor you for what you've been doing, for your sacrifice, Jesus, on the cross, your power of resurrection. Looking forward to the big feast at the end of times. We're just thankful and we want to praise you. Glorify your name. Amen.